Guys, I don't know about you, but I feel often like I need delivered from this broken world. I need deliverance from the things that are riddled with sin and brokenness and, and on and on. I think we realize from time to time, and sometimes we feel it more than other times, but the brokenness of this world, it's all around us. Sometimes it infects things that we thought might have been immune. Sometimes we are astonished by what goes wrong and how it goes wrong. We're amazed often at the power and the creativity of sin and of human brokenness. Sometimes it's the things that happen to me. I find myself, we find ourselves as the victims of that sin and brokenness. I didn't. We don't think we deserved it, and we can't do the right thing to fix it, but nonetheless, there it is. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I find myself at the root of the brokenness that is in my life. I don't always want to admit it, but Heather will tell you that I'm a mess. (laughs) She'll be very sweet about it. (laughs) She's shaking her head, no, no. I'll tell you I'm a mess. We know this. We do what we don't want to do. We do what we shouldn't. Our minds, our thoughts are sometimes a mess. Our emotions are sometimes out of control. I need delivered from this broken world. I need a deliverer who has the power to overcome this. I need a Savior who has the love to engage and to take care of what I need but cannot do. This passage of Scripture that we're going to read here in the book of Hebrews begins to tie together a lot of these issues that we've been dealing with over the last several chapters. It actually closes the center section of the book of Hebrews. It helps bring to culmination this theme that we've been looking at throughout the study, that Jesus is greater than. So all of these things, the priests and sacrifices and stories of the Old Testament, as the book of Hebrews uses them to talk about Jesus... A lot of those thoughts get tied together for us here in this passage in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And what that sacrifice does, what it finishes, and who it saves from sin. And through that, through the act of the sacrifice of Christ and His work of forgiveness, we see again the power and the majesty of God in some really unique ways. So here's some of the things that we're going to read through and discuss this morning in the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 10. First of all, guys, this is critical. Our need for forgiveness can only be met by the power of God. The power that you and I have to forgive is small. The power that you and I have to deliver ourselves or others from sin is small, but our need for forgiveness is great. My power is small. My need is great. Thankfully, my God is greater still. As our need for forgiveness can only be met by the power of God. We're going to see, I think, in a wonderful way that our God is a deliverer. He is our deliverer. We read this during worship. We're going to take another glimpse at it a little bit later on. But Psalm chapter 40 is cited in our passage today in Hebrews 10. Here's what Psalm chapter 40 verse 2 says about God who is our deliverer. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps sure. Our God is a deliverer. We're going to see in this passage how Jesus shows the way 
from sacrifice to obedience. In the end, guys, this is a critical goal for what God is at work at through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what He does inside of our lives, that you and I now would live so as to follow the will of God, to live now in obedience as we follow Jesus Christ. There's this word that shows up three times in Hebrews chapter 10 that's going to become critical to the story. It's the word sanctification or sanctify. And we're going to talk about why that is such an important term in this passage as we continue. And then we see this image again in Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus sat down. The priests, Hebrews 10 will tell us again, that the priests stand continuously, offering sacrifices continuously, because sinful people kept bringing sacrifices to the temple to be cleansed of their sins over and over and over. Priests stand to do their work. You and I in the morning, we get up in the morning because we still have more work to do. They stand, we get up, Jesus sits because Jesus has finished it all. And guys, He is the only one who can. So let's begin reading in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read the first four verses. It says this, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would, not, otherwise <clears throat> would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The law has but a shadow of the reality of the things of God in Christ. The law of God that He sets up, the priestly system that God ordains to to sort of service that law and make that law clear before the people of God. It, It served as a shadow, not the end game, but as something that pointed to the work of God in Jesus Christ. So, all of that activity, the priests and the sacrifices and the temple and the feasts and the fasts ordained by God, but all of them, as Hebrews shows us over and over, all of them done to point us to Jesus Christ. They're signposts directing us to the truth, the final, the greater things of God. The text tells us that they remind us of sin over and over again. And in fact, guys, this is a, this is a critical piece of our understanding of our need for forgiveness and our relationship with God. They act as a reminder of sin over and over and over. And they don't finish the job of forgiveness, but they remind us of it. It's incredibly important that you and I do not lose track of our need for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We've mentioned this before, but I think it's important for us to understand the individual who is typically most hard-hearted against God, the most distant from God, is the individual who believes they don't need forgiveness for anything. I need forgiven. And so we're reminded in this system over and over, it says, but it can never, as the text says, Make perfect those who draw near. Another translation takes that phrase from verse 1 and puts it like this. They can never provide perfect cleansing for those who come to worship. 
You may remember that part of the catch of chapter 9 was the story of a cleansed conscience. This thing inside of me where I know I am broken, I need my conscience cleansed. And the washing of the body and the washing of the blood of bulls and goats, that can't do it. It might wash things on the outside, but the promise of Christ is the cleansing from the inside out that can only happen because of the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. So, guys, our need for this cleansing, it's, it's deep, it's continual, because, guys, broke, my brokenness, my sin goes to the very core of my being. Remember, sin is not just a couple of things that I do. Sin is something that is at the very core of who I am. And so, until I grasp how deep that crack into my soul really goes, I may not yet grasp my shocking need for forgiveness or how insufficient my attempts are to fix it myself. So the Old Testament, Hebrews tells us, has this system. It has this rhythm of continual sacrifices that in the end could not do the job. So it says then we still need the annual reminder of sins where the high priest uh, works his sacrifices and makes his way one time a year into the Holy of Holies to make that one sacrifice. Can you imagine... A system of sacrifices, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, all day, all all the time, sacrifice, 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 and still we need one more every year just to make sure everything is covered, then we have to do it the next year. Then we have to do it the next year. We have to do it over and over. Guys, this is where the writer of Hebrews is taking us with the matter of sacrifice, and the need that I have forgiveness and what God, only God can do. Guys, our need for forgiveness can only be met by the power of God. Our need for forgiveness can only be met by the power of God. And quite honestly, the fact the God of all creation, the one who spun the universe into existence, knows all the stars by name, It's stunning that He has stepped in to make this possible, that He has come into our existence, so to speak, in the person of Jesus Christ to make this path of forgiveness. Why would God do this at the cost of the death of His Son? Why would God even bother to do this? The way the Apostle Peter, excuse me, the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1, And as he says this to the Ephesians, listen again to the language of sacrifice and forgiveness. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Jesus Christ. Do you notice who is doing all the work in this passage? His will, His purpose, He set forth in Jesus Christ. So God steps in to fix what I need need done but that I cannot do. So Jesus Christ shows up. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 5, it goes like this. Consequently, When Christ came into the world, He said, 
sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, in burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Jesus does away with the first covenant in order to establish the second covenant. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So here's how the writer puts it. When Christ came into the world, He said, and then he quotes from Psalm chapter 40. It's verses 6, 7, and 8. And it says there that God provided for His Son. God the Father provided for His Son, Jesus Christ, this body. This is Jesus as God incarnate. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. This is the point of celebrating the Christmas story, that God is incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel, or God with us. You have prepared for me a body. And in this body... I will perfectly do the will of my heavenly Father. It's a stunning little thing that happens in Psalm chapter 40. Psalm 40 is this incredible passage. It has several layers to it, and it's a conversation. It's a conversation from the believer to their heavenly Father. It's a conversation between God the Father and God the Son, as we read here in these couple of passages. But in the end, it's about the body of Jesus Christ, and in that body, Him perfectly fulfilling the will of God. Jesus has come to obey and do all that the plan of the Father has foreordained. Psalm chapter 40. I want to think about Psalm 40 here for a couple of minutes. Psalm 40, if you go in your Bibles there, the heading of that chapter probably says something like, God, our deliverer. That's what the chapter is about. The writer of Hebrews considers the middle of that chapter so important that they pull it out, they stick it here. And as we go back in this context of forgiveness and the work of God, and we go back and we read Psalm 40, it becomes even more rich to us. It becomes powerful to us. And I actually want to spend a couple of minutes doing this. It's very easy for us to sort of catch our reading for the day, and hopefully if you don't read the Psalms every day, hope you're reading, reading Psalms most days. The Psalms are the prayer book of the church, so why not learn how to kind of slow down and pray through some of these things and to catch the context of these passages of Scripture? So if it's important in talking about how deeply I need forgiveness and how powerfully God is at work. Let's read a little bit of Psalm 40. Here in Hebrews 10, it's verses 6, 7, and 8. I want to read together verses 1 through 5. So here's how Psalm 40 goes. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. 
He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When God lifts me up and places me upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, and I now have songs of praise to sing, the world will see. And who will they fear? They will fear the God who is my deliverer. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Why do you have reason to wait on God? What is it in your life that you find yourself waiting on God to show up and do what only God can do, what you're asking God to do? Why do I need in my life to wait patiently for God? All of us have those seasons in life. Maybe we've brought those times of life into this room today. Well, the psalmist says, I waited patiently to the Lord, for the Lord. And then that next phrase, guys, this is incredible. Can you imagine in your mind's eye the sovereign Lord over all creation leaning in to hear every word that you speak? He inclined His ear to me, and He heard everything. That I had to say. And he's the one who picked me up, washed me off, and put me on a firm foundation. Instead of the mud and the dirt and the muck that I find myself in, I'm now clean, and I'm now secure in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the psalmist says, and now I have a new song. Now I have these things to say about the greatness and the beauty and the forgiveness and the power of my loving God, and I will say them, and people will hear what I have to say and see me, and they will be drawn closer and closer to my God and not to me. Am I able to do those kinds of things with God long before the problem is solved, long before He answers the way I want Him to? Before all of that happens, can I just revel in the forgiveness and the cleansing of my God. Am I able to do those kinds of things alongside the psalmist? Verses 6 through 8 are in Hebrews 10. I want to read the next two verses out of Psalm chapter 40 in this context again. So Psalm 40 verses 9 and 10 say this, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Can I now speak to my neighbor about the greatness of God? Can I now speak in my life about who God is and all that He has done? Whether or not it's solved or fixed, but who He is and all He has done for me. I have not restrained my lips. In the middle of that, Jesus says to God the Father, you prepared a body for me. Those sacrifices are over. 
And I have come now to perfectly finish and accomplish the will of God. So Jesus now leads the way from sacrifices to obedience. Instead, again, for the need to make sacrifices over and over, Jesus finished that. And now the role is obedience. Behold, I have come to do your will, he says. So we now learn to live this forgiven and cleansed life, a life that now has access to Jesus Himself. And here comes this language in Hebrews 10, that this is the work that sanctifies us. That word is something that we use in our Christian contexts. We don't use it typically outside of these doors, but the word is beautiful. It means that I am now dedicated to God. I now have access to a life in which I am learning to want the ways of God, not just to do them, but to revel in them, to want to do them. Can you imagine a lifestyle where more and more the desires of your heart are to do the things of God instead of everything else? This is what sanctification does inside of us. It means we are no longer meant for the broken work of sin, but we are now set aside for the work of Jesus Christ. One way of understanding that language of sanctification is that a vessel or an item that has been used for non-sacred purposes has now been taken by God, cleaned up, and can only now be used for sacred purposes. We're no longer meant for the brokenness and captivity of sin. We are now meant for the work and the things of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's read one more section in Hebrews 10 and think this through. Beginning in verse 11, it goes like this. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. This is coming from Jeremiah 31 again. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. That's a stunning reality, guys. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any need to make sacrifice or offering for sin. Every priest stands daily. This is their job. They get up, they go to the temple, and they just offer sacrifices. They perform their duties. This is what they do. But the writer of Hebrews is tying this knot together for us and says, but Christ offered one sacrifice for all time, and He sat down at the right hand of God. This position of power and authority, this position of a job completely done. This image of Jesus now seated at the right hand of God, it's actually a big deal to the book of Hebrews. It shows up four times in chapter 1, verse 3, in chapter 8, verse 1, 
here in chapter 10, verse 12, and then later on in chapter 12, verse 2. This notion that Jesus completes the sacrifice and sits down is essentially an idea that both opens and closes the, the book. It bookends the book of Hebrews. So, guys, Jesus on the cross, Jesus Christ in His sacrifice upon the cross is the perfect and complete sacrifice for sin. It is upon the cross where our need comes in contact with the power of God. It is upon that cross in His sacrifice where the need for my forgiveness of sins comes in contact with the gracious, glorious, eternal power of God. John the Baptist said something interesting one day when he saw Jesus. It happens in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist is walking with his disciples, and he sees Jesus coming, walking the other way on the road, and he points to Jesus, and he tells his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has said, You prepared a body for me, and in this body I will perfectly complete and do the will of God here on earth. Well, here's part of that will, that He would be the Lamb of God, sacrificed, that takes away, that is powerful enough, complete enough to take away the sin of the world. Guys, the cross is sufficient. The cross of Christ is powerful enough to cover all the sin of the world. That's a lot of sin. (laughs) You should ponder it sometimes. Just turn on the news for a little while. But here's what that means. Every single person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ is forgiven, washed clean, and now stands pure before God. And it doesn't matter what kind of sinner you have been. No sin of yours is greater than the power of God to forgive. No sin of ours overwhelms the cross of Jesus Christ. So the text tells us that Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected for all time. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we now for all time stand pure before our God as His children in Jesus Christ. And those that He has perfected for all time, Jesus is now sanctifying, cleansing, purifying, making us in this life more and more like Him. And then we're reminded of this passage in Jeremiah 31, this new covenant, new hearts, a new law put inside of us. And He says, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Let's feel this for a second. Has someone forgiven you of something that you honestly did to them, but over time you've discovered that they've refused to let it go? That's hard. Have we sometimes in our lives, in forgiving others for the things done to us, found it very hard for us to forgive because so often we keep hanging on and hanging on and hanging on to the things that were done to us? It's hard enough in our plane of existence. What of a God? who has been sinned against by all of humanity, 
who stands ready to forgive all of that and forget all of that. I will hold this against you no more, God says. To forgive that, to forget that, and then to take that person and draw them closer and closer to Him. He perfects us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and we are sanctified, made more like Him because of the work of Jesus Christ. What of that God? We are being cleaned for God's use. We are becoming the kinds of people that Jesus can trust with His presence and with His power. And we now stand right in God's eyes because of Jesus. And we grow into that life because of Jesus. I love this detail in the text. It doesn't immediately jump out, but the writer of Hebrews in these 18 verses is trying to make it clear to us that it is the unified purpose of the triune Godhead to save sinners and forgive us. They've talk, the writer has talked about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He speaks of the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross, now seated at the right hand of the Father Himself and foreshadowed by, witnessed by the Holy Spirit. We're reminded of what the Holy Spirit says in Jeremiah 31, that this new covenant gets rid of daily sacrifices and puts inside of human beings brand new hearts. You might remember that passage from the book of Ezekiel where God says, I'm going to take out of my children a heart of stone and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. And Jeremiah says this brand new heart will be written on by the law of God itself. So something God has to accomplish. I need it done, I can't do it, so God has to accomplish it. As I was thinking this through, um, every now and then, some, sometimes I go and I sit at a, at a coffee shop and I'm writing up these notes. I'm trying to think through the process and put things together. And I find myself in a coffee shop surrounded by pagans and usually a couple of other pastors doing the same thing I am, just weeping. And I think, I've got to stop doing this. But as I was thinking this through, I'm sitting in this coffee shop and I was reminded of the second verse of the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So listen to this for a second. I'm not going to sing it to you. You can thank me later. <laughs> Did we in our own, sit, our, our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the, God of, the man of God's own choosing. Dusk ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. I can't. He did. So Jesus sat down. It is finished. Only Jesus could sit down. Only Jesus could conquer sin and death and be done with it. Only Jesus could sit at the right hand of the Father and now be the heir who will inherit all of creation and the destiny of all of humanity. And it is the Father's plan. It is God the Father's plan to reconcile His relationship with His own children, to offer the once-for-all sacrifice that settles the score and makes relationship with Him possible and new life in Jesus Christ possible. It is the Father's plan, and it is the Son's sacrifice. 
Jesus Christ's plan was to enter this world in our kind of flesh, to offer His life to us, to die on the cross, and to rise again the victor over sin and death forever and ever and ever. It's the Son's sacrifice. Don't ever give in to the drivel that shows up over and over again that the cross is divine child abuse. Don't give in to that. It was the plan of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son. Jesus willingly went to the cross to finish this plan. You've given me a body, He says, and in this body I will perfectly accomplish the will of my Father. It is the Father's plan, it is the Son's sacrifice, and it is the Spirit's testimony. This is, this is beautiful. The Spirit, the Scripture says in verse 15, bears witness to us of this new covenant, of this new heart, of this new life, of these new laws that are now written upon our hearts. The witness of the Spirit makes this real, makes this more than just a story, makes it more than just ancient history, makes it more than just folklore, one tribe's story but not another tribe's. It makes it so much more than that. The witness of the Spirit makes this real in our lives, the truth that forgives the human being. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are unified in purpose to save sinners, to forgive sins. This forgiveness is planned by the Father, it is secured by the Son, and it is applied by the Spirit. Let me say that again. This plan of forgiveness is planned by the Father, secured by the Son, and applied by the Spirit of God. And let's not forget the final words of Jesus Christ upon the cross before He breathed His last and gave up His Spirit. He said, it is finished. It is done. The sacrifice is done. The plan is secured. Jesus sat down, and we can now live in Him. Let's pray.